Hello everyone and welcome back to Into the Fray. I'm Daniel Marable here with... I'm Eli Kleinman. Today we will be looking at the new transfer rule that the NCA finally approved. We will be ranking the top players in the NBA in the SEC and we will be looking at the University of North Carolina and how their players, very many of them, have transferred to the NBA. But let's start with the transfer rule. Just last week, NCAA finally approved, and I say finally, it's been months, finally approved the one-time transfer rule that allowed any player to have immediate eligibility at their new school after transferring. Obviously, this is a major impact in both college football and college basketball. But for college basketball, this is huge as there are a lot of players in the transfer portal every year and especially at this moment. So what what is the impact of this rule? And do you think it's beneficial for college basketball or do you think it's harmful? Right. So let's start at the beginning. For some people, you know, if they're just casual college basketball fans, might be a little bit confusing at the start. Why are we seeing so many transfers? The transfer portal is buzzing this year, unlike we've ever seen it before. So, I mean, the transfer rule now allows, if there's any confusion, just to clear it up, college athletes can now transfer one time and receive immediate eligibility, as opposed to previously requiring players to sit out a full season following a transfer, which is huge. Like you said, this is huge. And I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is, is this bad for the sport? And I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any question. The answer is yes. The rule makes it so colleges really can't build for the future. I mean, you can't develop a team or players. Let's stick to players. You can't develop players if you if you can't keep them for more than one or two years. And maybe I'm looking at the sport as the whole as a whole and like the teams, but if we look at it from a player's perspective, I think it's great for the players. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, they now have more control uh, of their path than they really have ever had. I mean, they can now play where they want, whenever they want. It's huge. Frankly, you call this a negative thing for the sport, for teams, and I don't see it that way, and here's why. First of all, this really is not making a huge impact on college basketball. The impact is going to be minimal at best. Players, the majority of players get immediate eligibility for one reason or another. Frankly, this just makes the system more uniform. It actually creates more equality for all the players because players who transfer to Kentucky usually get the one the elig their eligibility right away, while players who transfer to a smaller school, let's say, you know, Long Beach State, don't because the NCAA ha doesn't care about them and they want to enforce the rules. So, you know, when I say enforce the rules as in the NCAA trying to play God with, that, with these players' lives and their livelihoods moving forward. It, so it's not really going to make a huge impact because most players do receive immediate eligibility. And for those who don't, usually it's the NCAA just trying to be difficult more than anything else. I mean, you know, there's an example, and it's called football, that Scott Van Pelt once pointed out. This offensive lineman tried to transfer closer to home because his mother had just been sick. 
And the NCAA said no, while star quarterbacks transferred to big colleges like Miami and Ohio State got immediate eligibility. The point being, they cared about the stars of their sport. They cared less about this offensive lineman who was trying to transfer closer to home. It's the same thing in college basketball. It's the same NCAA, and it's the same business that just really is run by a few rich men and potentially women who look to just harm college athletes. So I think it's a benefit. I also think you mentioned building a team. If you are successful at building a team, your players are going to want to stay. Like, and, and I think there's a caveat there. First of all, the best players will want to leave anyway, because they're going to go to the NBA. But the great, the good players are going to want to stay. Look at Gonzaga as an example. You know, you had someone like Drew Timmy, who after his freshman year could have transferred to Duke or North Carolina, but he wanted to stay at Gonzaga. And then you had Corey Kisper, who is now a, who was a senior this last year, and he stayed four years. And while Gonzaga has been a national power over the last couple of years, Four years ago, they were good and they were a top team, but I wouldn't say they were in the same tier as they are seeing now. They, they were lower. So, you know, players do stay if they're in the right situation. But players have to look out for themselves because no one else is going to. So they have players have to be able to do what is best for their career. And sometimes your initial decision as an 18-year-old is not right for you when you were 21 years old. And to force someone to sit out a year because they are trying to make a change, it doesn't make sense to me. You say this isn't going to have, you know, a large impact. It already has. It already has. And you brought up Gonzaga. You know, if you've got a good program, the kids are going to want to stay. I know I'm a Duke fan, but I go to Duke. This year, they had a record number of transfers um, coming in and leave, uh, leaving. Uh, Jamin Brakefield, Henry Coleman. A ton of players transfer. So if that's a good program, maybe they didn't have a great season. It's a good program with, with structure, Coach K, great assistance, and Nolan Smith. Why are they transferring? They're being forced out because of these one-and-dones and the new rule. They're being told what's best for them. They're seizing the opportunity, which is not bad for them, but it is destroying the sport, and it is having oh. a huge impact on even oh. the good programs. Uh, it's not destroying the sport. I mean, the if sport, it, Eli, it, if it's not having a big impact, why are we seeing a record number of transfers? It's having no, a no, huge this impact. Ru this rule is not having a big impact because it already happens. Transfers was a big thing in the last th two to three years before this rule was passed. Like, this is not going to change anything because it was already happening. If you don't like how transfers was working and you don't like the player's ability to transfer, you can have an issue with that. But this rule just kind of creates a written down rule for what was already happening. This is nothing new. Players have transferred by the hundreds every off season. Look at USC. They picked up five transfers this season and four of them made a major impact and drew peterson got immediately immediate eligibility he didn't really have a reason why there was nothing that he that had happened to him in his previous school no coach had left but he got immediate eligibility this rule just makes that a rule it's not just something that the ncaa can use their discretion on that's why i think it's amazing that's why I think it's good for the sport because it takes the discretion out of the NCAA's hand. And you know what? I don't think many people, if anybody in college sports athletics, trust the NCAA. No one really wants to put power in their hands. And this rule takes it out of their hands. So that's why it's a positive because it doesn't change all that much. 
it just takes the power out of the NCAA's hands. Uh, an organization that should not be trusted with the lives of these student athletes who have to look out for their well-being. Now, here's the other point. If you're working somewhere and you want to leave and go somewhere else, you're allowed to do that. You don't have to wait a year before you start working again. You can leave and go somewhere else. But they're not employees. Now, they're students. And they should be employees. I oh, Maybe not employees. No, no, maybe not employees. But they are part of a billion-dollar business. So to say, well, they shouldn't be allowed to do that because they're not employees is ridiculous. These athletes create billions of dollars to the NCAA every season. If they want to go somewhere that will help them better their NBA chances or just their career or their life in general, they should be allowed to do so. And here's the point. Here's another point. So when you look at it, when an 18-year-old commits, he's 18 years old. He's not even necessarily an adult. Some of them are 17 when they commit, but 18 years old. When you go from being 18 to, let's say, 20, it's only two years, sure, but that's a huge change in your life. You have now lived on your own, away from home. You have experienced what the world looks like outside of your where you grew up. So, you know, you have different ideas of what you need when you actually are in college. So to keep a player who is still learning, who is still growing, to from changing where they are, changing their situation because they committed to a school and they promised they'd play for them is ridiculous. It, it happens. People make mistakes. Athletes make mistakes. And we shouldn't punish them for making a mistake of committing to the wrong college. Yeah, here's my problem with it. College, going off of your idea, college is a place to grow. We all know that. That's, that's the point, really. It's a place to learn and grow. And as a student, that, like for us, as a student, it's a place to grow and learn. And as an athlete, you know, for student athletes, you're supposed to grow as an athlete and learn as an athlete for student athletes. But if players are jumping from team to team, school to school, they aren't going to have that chance to learn and develop in a system or under a coach like they would if they would stick to one school. And I think this this new rule, you know, maybe there were other circumstances that allowed this to happen before, but now it's really encouraging it. But this new rule discourages progress. That's what it does. It discourages progress and the process that it takes to become better and grow as a program and as a player, as an individual. Everything has to be now. And that's just the new world we're living in. It's got to be instantaneous. And there's no more waiting. In the world of sports especially, we're seeing this. Uh, no more waiting in the NBA. More stars are wanting out of, you know, losing situations. And I, I really think that college basketball is becoming more and more like the NBA for better or for worse, depending on your opinion. but And I think this new transfer rule is just perpetuating this. And See, we're, we're putting too much on these players to have to stick to one system, to have to sit behind other players while they wait their turn. They have the to process. look out for them. They have to look out for their own well-beings. And sometimes waiting is not the right decision. You mentioned that college is a place to learn. College is a place to set yourself up for success. And if you are not playing on the court and your dream is to play professional basketball, you are not setting yourself up for success. You are just setting yourself up for failure. If a player does, and I'm not saying every player will do this who is not playing as much as they would like, but if a player is not getting the opportunities that he feels he should have, then he should be allowed to transfer. And as the NCAA rule allows, because he has to look out for his own well-being. You are not going to get drafted by sitting on the bench. You're going to get drafted by playing. 
I'd rather see these kids bet on themselves than wait their turn. The NBA has been drafting younger and younger. So if you're not ready to go, you're not getting drafted. You're not getting drafted if you only play one season as a redshirt senior. These players need to set themselves up for success because no one else is going to do it for them. As much as these coaches promise that that's their goal, they have 15 athletes to look out for. These these players have to look out for themselves because if they don't, they're going to get lost. They're not going to make it. That's just the reality unless you're a top prospect. And most aren't. So, you know, I I think I understand what you're saying and that you need to, you know, it is nice to see a story where – the player, you know, stays in a program and builds his way up to becoming a starter and a star and they they have success in the NCAA tournament. That's a great story. But it's just a story. It's just a narrative that we like to hear. And the reality is these players have to look out for themselves. They have to look out for their well-being because they have a future after college. And if we lock them in place, we are just going to be hurting these kids' futures after college yeah i i just i think that there are ways you know to prevent that from happening if you know if you see a school we can go back to kentucky duke they got a lot of five-star commits you're maybe not as good as these guys maybe think about that a little closer and look closer at you know where you want to play what set yourself up for for success before you make that decision why are we going to punish a kid for making a decision when he's 17 18 years old like what is the point what do we gain by punishing a kid who is 17 18 and sure he made he made a bad decision he made a mistake but what why punish that because that's that when you remove the transfer rule or you make them sit out of here you're just punishing them that's not that, it's that not is, punishing them it's essentially it's, what you're doing yes it is why what, what else is it what is the point of making someone sit out a year if it's not a punishment to the player decisions because, come with consequences it can't all be positives i mean you have to live with your with the decisions you make but i, I if there are consequences for their decision, but their decision itself doesn't have consequences. By committing to Duke and then realizing it's the wrong school, there's not that's not there's no consequence on Duke or the players at Duke. The only consequence is on the player who committed. They're already paying for it if they're unhappy at their school. That's their consequence. So why are we punishing them again? when they want to go find a better situation. These players aren't leaving if they're extremely happy at their school. They're leaving if they're not happy. So they're already in a bad spot. Why are we punishing them for going and looking for a better opportunity for themselves? That, that, I mean, that is what this country is. I mean, that's what the NCAA is. That's what college basketball is. These coaches go look for the best recruits. If they find someone better than you, they will bring them in and they will play them. So why should the prospect not be able to go look for a better opportunity for themselves when the coaches have their self-interest in mind, the NCA has its self-interest in mind. So shouldn't the players also be allowed to have their self-interest in mind? And they can, they can transfer and then they'd have to sit out a year and adapt and, and be able to grow to and, a year. And, op- and get punished for trying to better their opportunity. Now, I makes think no decisions come with consequences. You got to learn from them, and it, it makes you a better person in the end. It really does. I mean, I just it, it, there's no point in punishing players for you know making a mistake. We all make mistakes. If we get punished for every single mistake we made, this world would be a very different place. Anyway, let's move on to 
ranking. Well, I'll let yep. you take it. Yeah, on. yeah. We'll be ranking players by conference. So we did positions by conference. So in in that segment, we ranked conferences by position. So we were actually ranking like ACC first, SEC second. In this segment, we'll be ranking the players by conference. So today we'll be doing the top 10 NBA players who played in the SEC. So, you know, maybe we'll have, or we'll, we'll, I'll use the ACC as an example. Maybe next week we do the ACC and yeah, I've got Zion first and Kyrie second. That'd be debatable, but, but along, along those lines. So we can just kick it off right here. Start at number 10. Who's the 10th best player in the NBA currently who would play who has played in the SEC. Eli, you're up. It's De'Aaron Fox. The I, I'd call him a star point guard for Sacramento. I mean, he he does a lot good on a very bad team. It's unfortunate he ended up in the despair of Sacramento. But he's a really good player. He's a great point guard. He was great at Kentucky, great now in the NBA. You know, obviously, I think he would be better if he was on a team that had more skilled players around him. I think what he's doing now is impressive in its own right. I mean, he's been doing this for years in a team that just isn't very good. You know, not the best player from the SEC, but frankly, if he ends up in a better situation or somehow the Kings were able to make it a better situation in Sacramento, I think he could easily move up this rankings. So I have him at 10 now, but I think he has room to move up. If he's put in the right situation, I just think Sacramento's not it right now. Yeah, and the SEC is quite possibly the most stacked conference in terms of talent. Uh, I don't think we'll see another conference quite this good. So being 10 in the SEC is a, a, a really amazing accomplishment. Um, on the outside looking in, I've got Jamal Murray and Tobias Harris. I just wanted to mention them beforehand because this is a really good conference, a lot of talent, and... It was a tough decision to leave some of these players out of the top 10. I think a couple people, a lot of people, thought Jamal Murray was going to be maybe most improved this year, come out, average around 26 points. And he, before the injury, which is very disappointing, um, hopefully he's doing better now and will recover for next season. Uh, honestly, a little bit disappointing. He, he was averaging around 20 points, not crazy efficient. The bubble was... A whole nother story. Bubble Murray was fantastic. Regular season Murray, not exactly. But 10, I've got Shea Gilgis-Alexander out of Kentucky. We're going to see a lot of Kentucky guys. Um, already the first two are Kentucky guys. But what, what stands out to me about Shea is he's only like, what, is he only 22? Maybe? Um, yeah. Very young. What, what stands out to me, though, is he's so poised. He plays at his own pace, which is something you seldom see in young players under... 25 you know he takes everything at his own pace nothing speeds him or rushes him um he, he's very promising I, he doesn't really have a weakness in his game i wouldn't say he excels at anything other than just his poise and how he plays the game at his own pace i think that's what stands out to me the most so nothing really you know he's not a, an excellent scorer he's a good scorer he's not a, an excellent facilitator he's a good facilitator but he doesn't have any weaknesses and that's what's so intriguing about him as a player and his promise so i've got him at number 10 yeah, uh, so let's move on to number nine. And number nine, I have Chris Middleton, the 3 and D player for the Milwaukee Bucks and went to Texas A&M. Honestly, he is a top, 
I just in terms of three and D player, right? I'm not going to count like someone like Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard as a three and D player. Chris Middleton's one of the top three three and D players in the NBA right now. I mean, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, when Clay Thompson's healthy, Clay Thompson is up there in the top three as well. But Chris Middleton is, you know, he's been an All Star as a three and D player. It's not something that you know is traditionally done. Although that's obviously changing. He's a great player. He's a great second option to Giannis on that team just overall a solid player and you know compared to someone like De'Aaron Fox who was a top pick Chris Middleton was not and so to make his way onto a top 10 list like this in the hard toughest conference to be on in, in this list uh, is impressive so yeah Chris Middleton is at number nine yeah he's got a great story he was I believe the first G League alum to make an all-star team which is awesome for him uh number nine you're not gonna like this I've got Julius Randle uh, I'm not really buying into the Julius Randle craze this year. Um, he's a great player. He's improved um, a great deal. He went from a shot-chucking ball hog, pretty bad defense, not a consistent shooter, to at least significantly improved in all of those fields. Um, he's really picked it up this season, and that's what stands out. And the Knicks, although I'm not sure where to attribute the success this season, probably... A multitude of areas. I, I lean on the Tom Thibodeau. You can attribute most of the success to him, but but that doesn't mean that Julia, Julius Randle hasn't stepped up. It's just I'm not in. I'm not buying into this Julius Randle for maybe MVP. You know, is he top ten MVP? No, no, he's not. I think he was barely an All Star. Uh, he's still not. This season, he's top ten MVP. Oh come on! Give absolutely me a not. No give me way. You Julius Randle. Oh, give me a break. Okay, give say me a break. what if he was playing in Sacramento? Would we be talking about him the same way? I don't think so. I think this is a New York um, bias. I think he's it's a big great. He's had forty point games. It's a big market bias. I think Julius Randle is a good player. I've got him nine out of the SEC players in the NBA, but he is. So what he do is you not. call this then? Wait, explain to me then what this is. Like, what is this season? If it's not, you know, if you're not buying into what this is, what is it then? A good player on a pretty good team. A pretty good team. You're calling the Knicks and what they have around Julius Randle a pretty good team. They're a first-round exit. They're a first-round exit. It's funny to me that you call this a pretty good team because besides Julius Randle, there's not really much on that right. team at all. It's a, and it's a, so it, it is all him. You know, I have Julius Randle much higher on my list. If, you know, what what is apparent is and has been said a lot about him is the time off that he had from March – so December, when the season began, he put a lot of work in on his shot. And that's where the difference is being made. And you see it. He is now shooting this season 41% from three mm -hmm. compared to 33.5% over his career. That was the biggest him. step he took, yeah. Now, here's the other thing. People, it is a huge increase in his production. However, he did. He averaged 17 points, nine rebounds, and three assists per game. Frankly, it's a step up, and it's a significant one. But it's not like he was a terrible role player who has now all of a sudden become a star. He was a ball stopper. He was a stat patter. He was a bit of a stat patter. He, but he was a good player. He, yeah, he was a good player. Yeah, he was a good player who has become a great pretty good player, player this season. A great player. Pretty this good season. player. He's a With, pretty good. Without Julius Randle. This Knicks team is not making the playoffs. Not close. It's just that that is how good he has been. And, you know, when you watch him play, he 
there was a stretch just a couple weeks ago where he put up over 30 points for four straight games and against the Hawks he put up just put up 40. Mm-hmm. This is this is not necessarily an anomaly but you know what also stands out for him is that he's averaging 10 and a half rebounds and six assists and he is really doing it all sure Tom Thibodeau has made a huge difference on defense but this offense would be nothing without Julius Randle let's move on to number eight where I have Bam Adebayo the center from Miami not necessarily a score that's not really his thing it's he's a defensive center and a very good one at that i mean just last week he or this week he locked up kyrie irving was the primary defender on him for a good amount of the game and he did excellent against him so bam's a great player he probably has the potential to score a little bit more than he is at the moment and that would bring him up into the top tier on this list but you know a good rebounder he knows how to pass and a great defender he's at number eight Mm -hmm. my eight is De'Aaron Fox who you already talked about out of Kentucky I think all of my guys have been Kentucky stars at this point um yeah I mean you touched on it he's a he's a pretty solid defender he's got quick hands um great in transition he's a great facilitator uh underrated facilitator he's a he's a very good facilitator the three-point shot is is really the only thing holding him back right now. It's his only weakness that I can see. Um, he's got the speed. And, and the reason I have him above Julius Randle, maybe... Julius uh, Randle's... The, the Knicks have a much better roster than the Kings, when you look at it. Um, the Knicks don't have a great roster, but the Kings have a horrible roster. They've got about five players who are adequate, and then their bench is nothing. Um, but what... Tell me, if Julius Randle is so much higher on this list than 8 or 9, what can Julius Randle do better than De'Aaron Fox? Well, first of all, Julius Randle doesn't play is bigger than De'Aaron Fox. He is more capable of guarding bigger players because De'Aaron Fox is a point guard and, frankly, not that great of a defender. He's a, I'd say he's a better defender than Julius Randle. I would have to disagree. But, the, but more to the point is De'Aaron Fox cannot shoot and do what Julius Randle has been able to do shooting this year. Julius, and, and, you know, frankly, if you can't shoot in the NBA, you're not, you are, you can be a very good player, but you cannot be a star. Darren Fox is a point guard who can't even shoot 33% from three-point range. He is shooting 32.2% this season, and that matches his career average which is 32.6 we've seen we've seen russell westbrook win mvp with uh, a horrible and don't and shot. De'Aaron fox is not russell westbrook no but you said you can't be a star in the league if you can't shoot we've seen that before though russell westbrook i, I believe shot better than 32 percent from three in that season but regardless russell westbrook is more an anomaly not something you will see again i mean like De'Aaron fox is athletic but not he is not as athletic as Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Westbrook could probably play football running back and would be a quality player there. So what Darren Fox can't do is shoot, and because he's not that tall, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of other options. And I will say this, you know, you want to talk about stat padding, Darren Fox, you know, is the primary ball handler and score on a team that just doesn't have a lot of weapons. I will also add, you mentioned that you think Darren Fox is good at defense. The Kings are one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. The Knicks are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. 
De'Aaron Fox is the Kings leader. Julius Randle is the Knicks leader. Says something about defense. Who are the coaches? Sure, coaches are part of it, but the players on the court have to do something about it too. Sure, that's, the that's coaches fair. don't get on the court and defend. You know, you know, you can't defend Trey Young if you're Tom Thibodeau because you, you're kind of standing on the sideline. But on to is it number? Yeah, six? I, I can seven. go. I can go on to seven because um, I have Bam Adebayo, who was your eight. Um, let you you touched on it. He's a Kentucky star. I, my fourth Kentucky guy in a row. Uh, yeah, he he's an excellent defender. The offense is isn't quite there, but it, but it's picking up, uh, and I do believe it'll catch up one day. He's not a shooter. If he can step out and hit a three occasionally, I think that'll vault him into the top five here pretty easily. Um, I think he he's the perfect modern big. If you take away the shot, um, he can defend. He really can defend one through five. Uh, super versatile, and, and the offense isn't bad. So. Easily lands him at seven for me. Yeah, so my seven is Ben Simmons. Uh, uh, he gets a lot of hate in the NBA because he can't shoot. And, you know, I mentioned you can't be a star in the NBA. I don't know if I'd call him a star. But, frankly, he is another one of those anomalies in certain respects. I mean, he is 6'9 and is a can play point guard. Not just play, but he's a good point guard. He's a great distributor he's just a great player in general and he's also a great defender i think that's you know what sometimes we don't always talk talk about when we talk about great players is ben simmons is a great defender and despite being considered a point guard he can really guard one through five he's has the frame he has the strength and he's just he is a very good defender he's a three-time all-star he you know was an all-defensive player last season so you know, when you look at it, he's done everything you want on a team that has a star, like an MVP front runner star in Joel Embiid. You know, and Simmons, you know, he sure he only scores fifteen. He's only scoring fifteen points per game this season, but he is averaging seven rebounds and seven assists. So, you know, he really does it all. Uh, there is, I could see a situation, a season in which he averages a triple double on the season. I mean, he's not all that far away. He has all the potential to do it. So it's going to be fun to watch him as he keeps getting better. And he's not that old. He's really young. I mean, you know, for the player he is. So he still has a lot of time to grow and develop into even better of a player than he already is. Yep. Well, my six is also Ben Simmons out of LSU. First guy, not from Kentucky. Uh, and he, he's always difficult to rank on these lists these kind of lists, because, like you said, he, he doesn't, he's not, you know, as great as an offensive player as these other guys, but, I mean, he's in contention for Defensive Player of the Year this year, he's an excellent defender, the reason I have him above Bam is because he is a better defender, believe it or not, than Bam, he's he's elite, he's elite defensively, and he's pretty versatile, minus the three-point shot, which really is not good for any team. When you're rolling out an elite center like Embiid, who isn't a great shooter, he's a capable shooter, and then you've also got Ben Simmons who can't shoot, uh, so that's tough for any team. So he's offensively limited, but I'm willing to look past that because of his court vision and his defense. But what scares me about Ben Simmons is his lack of improvement, which people don't often talk about, but is definitely there. I mean, he's averaging. Just about, I don't know if you've got the stats pulled up. He's averaging just about the same stats since his rookie year. Um, 
same points, maybe a little bit more assists, maybe some more rebounds. He's improved defensively, but offensively, he's stagnating, and and that's never a good sign for any young star. He he is actually averaging. And I'd say this season though has just been a down season. I mean, he's averaging under his career highs for everything except actually for shooting, which he is shooting from three, almost double. In fairness, he's only taken ten three pointers all season. Uh, but I think, you know, it's not his best season. But in fairness, when you look at it not being his best season, he's also playing with his teammate Joel Embiid, who's having his best season in the NBA by far. So I'm not saying that is the reason. I'm not saying that's, you know, a reason at all, uh, so the sole reason or the reason at all. But I think it's something interesting to know. Um, but my number six, I have Michael Porter Jr. And that's going to sound shocking to some people. You know, he's not exactly been a star in the league. But, you know, he's having somewhat of a breakout season this year. I mean, he's averaging – he averages 13 points per game over his career, although a very short one. This season he's averaging almost 18. And for most of this season, he's been the team's third option on offense. I mean, you have Nikola Jokic, who is another MVP candidate. And before Jamal Murray got hurt, Jamal Murray was the second option. So you were looking at the third scoring option on a team. He's averaging 17 points per game. And if he could increase his free throw shooting, which is at 77%, he would be a 50-40-90 shooter if he had 90% free throw shooting. He doesn't, he's, but he's in the 50-40 club, and he's there by a sizable margin. He's shooting... 54% from the field and 43% from three-point range. So, you know, that's an elite score. I like Ben Simmons a lot, but I have Michael Porter Jr. up here in part because Simmons is having an off year and Michael Porter Jr. is having a breakout year, but also because Michael Porter Jr.'s potential, I think, is better than Ben Simmons in terms of what he can do scoring the basketball. I, I like Michael Porter Jr. I think he's got a lot of potential. Uh, he could be a, an excellent an excellent, possibly top five wing in the league. But he's not that right now. There's no way. If we're doing this list on potential, Shea would be, like, number two. There's no way Michael Porter Jr. right now is better than Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons. I have to call you out for that. Horrible take, Eli. No, Mike, I like all. Michael Porter Jr. And you know what? He is an excellent third option. I think he probably should be the second option above Jamal Murray. He's that good. But he is not a top Do you even six... have him on your list? No, he missed it. No, he missed it because he's he's just not that good. He's not he there is, yet. He is very good. He's like, 20, saying... he's like 22, his second year in the league. Hey, look, he's only played 48 games, but he certainly has more potential than Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I like Shea a lot. Shea was just almost made my list. But if you don't think Michael Porter Jr. has more potential than Shea, I don't know what you're looking at. Because Michael Porter Jr. was a top prospect coming out of high school for a reason, and now we are finally seeing why. I mean, we are finally just starting to see glimpses of why he was considered a top prospect. He's a really good player. He's very talented. He will be a top scoring wing in this NBA for years to come. Yes, I said it, one of the top scoring wings in the NBA. He's, that's his potential, especially right now, he's averaging 17 points per game as a third option. I mean, imagine if he becomes a second or even the primary option. He can put up easily over 25 points per game. That is well within his potential. So I think the future is bright, but I think 
the future is somewhat here. I think it, I think this is the start of what is going to be a very successful. He is, career he is not Jr. better than Ben Simmons and Bam Adebayo. I got, I got to tell you that uh, straight up. Um, uh, but but all right, I'll move on to my number five. I've got Chris Middleton. You had him nine. I think that's a little bit disrespectful. He's a, he's a lot better than that. Chris Middleton out of Texas A and M. That's not Kentucky. Um, the the greatest thing about Chris Middleton has to be his efficiency. He is incredibly efficient. He was robbed of a 50-40-90 season last year. I think before the bubble, he he was at a 50-40-90. Um, on high volume, too. It's it's not like he's like a second... He is a second fiddle, to be honest. But, but he plays, you know, like he could be the star of his own team. Um, he's a really... Yes, he's a really underrated facilitator and playmaker. Uh, he could run the point for them. He, he, I like Chris Middleton. No, he's that good. He cannot be a star. A, he is a great if, defender. If, he's incredibly efficient. What more the, can you ask? If he is the best player on his team, that team maybe makes the eight seed, but they're not going past the first. If round. you think Michael Porter Jr. can average twenty five, Chris Middleton on his own team could average twenty five. Chris Middleton is by far a more pal- polished. Well, I, I said. I said. 25 for Michael Porter Jr. is the is the floor of what he can average when he finally reaches his prime. Like Michael Porter Jr. is Chris good enough Middleton, to average 30 points a game if he reaches his prime. Chris Middleton is more polished than Michael Porter Jr., more efficient than Michael Porter Jr. On higher actually, volume, a better facilitator, actually, better actually, defensively, better. Actually, I don't. Actually, you would be incorrect if you're talking about more efficient. So this season, he makes more free Chris throws. Mid- on higher volume. Free throws, sure. I mean, you can find free throws, but Chris Middleton shoots about the same from three, but from the field, Michael Porter Jr. shoots 53%, while Chris Middleton shoots 48%. And in fact, Chris Middleton's career statistic um, shooting percentage from three-point range is under 40%. So, you know, you talk about efficient... He's good. He's a very good player. That's why he made my list. But I think sometimes we get a little – he gets overhyped because he plays next to someone as good as Giannis, which creates a lot of opportunities for him. And Michael Porter Jr. plays next to Jokic, possibly the best – possibly one of the best facilitators in the league. That's fine, but Giannis – is probably the most dominant player in the NBA. So, you know, I like Jokic a lot, but let's not go ask acting like Jokic is better than Giannis because he's not. He's he's a good player. He's a great player. He might win MVP, but Giannis he, is he probably will. Giannis is the best player in the NBA, just talent wise, what he can do. Mm, all right, that's a different discussion. Um, so, are you on number five now? Uh, yeah. So my number five is Devin Booker. A great player on the Suns. Look what the Suns are doing now that they added Chris Paul. Uh, you know, they're a top team in the West. And Devin Booker is the primary scorer on that team. This season, he's averaging 25 points per game, four assists, four rebounds. Not, never been the best three point shooter. He averages around 35%. This year, he's actually at 34%. Um, but he does. He has increased his field goal percentage this year. It's at forty-eight percent. So I really like what he's been able to do. I think adding Chris Paul has been huge. Just a, a very good player in the NBA, and along with Chris Paul, who's probably one of the top three facilitators in the NBA. You know, there is a lot of potential 
for that team going into the postseason this year and moving into the future. Yep. Uh, four, I've got Devin Booker, also out of Kentucky, and I I agree with everything you said. I've just got him one spot higher. Um, he's he's a great scorer. Um, he's a he's an adequate defender. Not great, not bad. Um, we're really seeing. You know, I don't know how to feel about it. Is is adding Chris Paul what made them that much better? Is that the only reason? I don't know. Should we be a little hesitant because Devin Booker led the Suns to nothing in, in five seasons? Eh, he had a pretty bad roster. So I don't know how to feel about that, but there's no denying the talent. He's one of the best scorers in the league. He's still he's still a good three-point shooter. He, he he shoots a lot, so his his field goal percentage isn't, you know, as high because he takes a lot of shots. But um yeah, he's he's just a great player, great scorer, uh, and he's still really young, and he's been in the league for a ton of time, so He's got the experience. He'll get the playoff experience this year. Um, just a really good player. Number four. Yeah, so for number four, I know you'll take offense with this, but I'm right and you're wrong, like usual. It's Julius Randle. Oh, my God. And this is finally where he comes in. What he's he is doing bad. now is is sustainable. You no, may not, not like to think it is as a Celtics fan who definitely does not like New York or anything Knicks-related. No, that's it's not bad. You may like not like it. But it's here and it's here to stay. He is a star in this league. He should, I'm not saying he should win MVP. I would not call for that. Joel Embiid, Jokic, both having better seasons. Frankly, Giannis is having a better season. Um, Giannis is averaging 28 and a half points per game and 11 rebounds. Just so we're throwing it out there. Giannis is having another MVP caliber season. Yep. He's just not going to win it because he is, we have MVP fatigue, um, which is something that goes around the NBA. But Julius Randle is a star, and he should be a top 10 MVP candidate this season. That's how good he is playing. You know, most valuable player is the award. What Julius Randle has provided this Knicks is more valuable than almost everyone in the NBA. Mm -hmm. He is one of the most valuable players to his team this season, and without him, they would be nowhere close to where they are. They are in the fourth seed. In the NBA, in the Eastern Conference, in fairness, the Eastern Conference is not that deep right now. It's just not that good. Ugh, the Celtics have really been struggling this season, not carrying their weight. But hey, not the point. they've won eight of their last nine or whatever. Yeah, and guess what? The Knicks have won eight in a row. So, you know, what he is doing is impressive. I, I I believe it is sustainable. I, I you know what he's doing shooting is the product of his work over the summers. He got ready for the season. He got extra months off, and it's paying off. Julius Randle is a star. He is here to stay. He will be the face of New York for a while. I I don't even I don't even know what to say. You've got Julius Randle above Devin Booker, Bam Adebayo, Ben Simmons, Chris Middleton. Yeah. De'Aaron and you Fox. put you put Julius Randle yeah. at nine. I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's fair. That's it. I I had no, no idea that when I you know opened my laptop today and and opened this Zoom session with you that I'd be you know going to a stand up uh, comedian uh, show today. I had no idea. This is this is laughable. Uh, I mean, I you know I guess over the next couple of years when Julius Randle keeps playing at this level when he keeps making All Star games. I'll expect you to come back and apologize. All right, hey, because, I'll hold you to that. That that's a good plan. I like that. That's how good he is. All right, I'll take your Michael word for Porter it. Jr. I'll take your word for it. I expect uh, an MVP from Julius Randle and a championship birth no. 
In the no next... one said no one said MVP. I did never said MVP. That was never a word that left my mouth. I said he was going to be a top ten MVP candidate this season, and I think he should be. I didn't say he was going to win MVP, but he's going to be a star. He's going to continue what he's doing now, and I think he will because I think that's he's a great player. Let's move on to number three, the one spot we actually agree. Oh, no, we not do not quite. agree not here. Quite. Almost. Uh, we are close, though. I have Bradley Beal at number three out of Florida. He's a star on a team that just consistently is not good. And, you know, there will be people, and I don't know if you'll make this argument. Some will make the argument that he's been on good playoff teams before, but he was not the primary player on that team. He was the backup option. The star on that team was John Wall. Since John Wall has left, Bradley Beal has become a primary player. He's averaging 31 points per game this season. But frankly, over the last couple of years, the team has not been all that good. They're hot as of late. They're playing great basketball with Russell Westbrook playing well as well. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get into the playoffs and make a run. But Bradley Beal is a great player on a team that hasn't been all that good. He's a good, great scorer, but he doesn't do much else. So that's why he comes in at number three. All right. Well, our next two picks are the same, just reversed. Um, I have Carl Anthony Towns, another Kentucky guy. Um, and so I'm going to make the argument. So you say Bradley Beal under Towns because team's not that good. Um, I would bring up that playoff argument. He was he was the second option and a pretty good one at that when they were the fourth, fifth seed those few years in a row. It was a great team, and I think he is best served as a second option, not a first option. But the Wizards are a much better team right now than the Timberwolves. Much better. And I'd say the Timberwolves, I would argue that the Timberwolves have a much better roster. Much more talented roster than the Wizards. The Wizards roster is abysmal. But anyway, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, he is one of, if not the most offensively skilled big man of all time. Um, he can shoot the three like no other. He's actually shooting... Um, on higher volume, a better three-point percentage than Devin Booker. That's a fun fact of the day. Um, he's just an excellent player. He, he's not he's not there defensively. He's still a big body. He He's not a terrible defender, um, but he can do just about everything you would want on the offensive end. Yeah, I'll say this. You, you talk about the Wizards being good as of late. The teams they've beaten on this, uh, I'll call it win streak, the only loss they have recently is to the Suns. They beat the Magic. They beat the Warriors. When the Warriors have, they've beaten the Warriors twice. The Warriors have blown both games. The Warriors held leads late before epically collapsing in both. They did beat the Jazz. That's their one impressive win. Besides that, they've beaten the Kings, the Pelicans, the Pistons, and the Thunder. They've really just beaten teams that they should beat with the players they have because no, no player on any of those teams, minus maybe the Pelicans and obviously the Jazz, have two stars like Bradley Beal and Russell, Russell Westbrook. So I think, you know, I think what we're going to see is the Wizards will fall back to earth once they start playing competition that is playoff bound instead of non playoff bound teams. I mean, as good as the Warriors are and have been, the Warriors are right on the border of making the playoffs. So I think, you know, this is not a sustainable thing for the Wizards. Bradley Beal's a great player. He's not really an efficient shooter. Shoots 35% from the field. Why Carl Anthony Towns is above him, though, is just because Carl Anthony Towns kind of does everything as a big man. He can score. He can rebound. He he is actually a solid passer. And, and he's an, he's more of an efficient scorer. Sure, the Wizards, the Timberwolves, in theory, have a better roster around them. Although, 
frankly, D'Angelo Russell is no Russell Westbrook. Anthony Edwards needs time, significant time. So it really has been Carl Anthony Towns alone. And this has been a very difficult year for Carl Anthony Towns. So I think, you know, it's just the Timberwolves are a mess, but he's a star. He's been a star for years. He's a two-time all-star, all-NBA player. Bradley Beal's great, but I just think what Carl Anthony Towns does as an overall player beats out Bradley Beal, who is just, I would say, I would categorize him as an elite scorer more than an all-around superstar. Yep, I mean, that's a fair argument. Um, which brings us on to number one, who we both agree with. It's Anthony Davis out of Kentucky. Um, he's the clear number one. There is literally no competition. Um no argument. No, it's that he's, he's he's by far the best player out of the SEC. I mean, he's a top five player in the NBA. I think. Period. You know, forget conferences. You know, he's not having the best season. He's not a great shooter per se, but he's been hurt. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously LeBron James is also on his team, so he's a star. He's he's the best player by far in this conference. But let's move on. Yep, that brings us on to Under the Spotlight, and we are tackling UNC this week. Um, UNC currently has 11 players in the NBA. Uh, only Kentucky and Duke have more, and so I'll list them off. These 11 are Cole Anthony, Harrison Barnes, Tony, Tony Bradley, Reggie Bullock, Ed Davis, Wayne Ellington, Danny Green, Cameron Johnson, Nasir Little, Theo Pinson, and Kobe White. What sticks out to you, Eli? There's not a star on this team uh, out of this school. I mean, this is a school that's won a national title, been to another, and there's not a single star on this team. I mean, you know, I mean, no one's calling Harrison Barnes a star. I think, you know, Nasir Little was supposed to be good, but he's just, you know, was never that good. I guess Colby White is probably, along with Harrison Barnes, the two best players. I mean, I wouldn't want this team to be on my, my NBA roster. I can tell you that. That's for sure. This team lacks a lot of superstars, but they had a lot of success in college. So I think it's interesting that North Carolina clearly a great program, but not necessarily a great producer of talent. Yeah. Um, you know what I see when I look at this list right here? A bunch of role players. A bunch of role players. Uh, not a single star, like you said. I mean, we give Duke a bunch of crap uh, for not having a ton of five, uh, for having a ton of five-star recruits, but not having them really produce at, at a high level in the NBA. But at least Duke has stars in the NBA, like superstars in Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, and Zion Williamson. But UNC is zero, like literally zero. I mean, who's their best player? You said Harrison Barnes, maybe. And, you know, although UNC hasn't, they haven't really received the number of star recruits that Duke and Kentucky has. They have certainly received their fair share of five-star recruits. Um, unlike Duke and K Kentucky, like you mentioned, um, UNC as a program has experienced more success recently. I know Duke had that 2015 um, championship, but you know UNC made it all the way to the championship game in 2016, came up short to Villanova, but they won in 2017. Um, and I, I believe you know I have somewhat of an explanation for their success. They've had far less one and dones than the other blue bloods, and I think that's the big difference that's contributed to their success. Having a veteran-led team come tournament time is is so much more valuable. Uh, like we've said before, than having a, a team of of a bunch of freshmen with their eyes set on the NBA. Um, and so this is where we see a, a perfect example of what works in college doesn't always work or translate into the NBA. I, okay, uh, we looked at Texas A&M last week. 
I would argue Texas A&M has produced better NBA players than UNC has. They've got Chris Middleton, DeAndre Jordan, Daniel House, Robert Williams. I don't know about better. I'd say you could argue it's equivalent. I mean, you know, I think North Carolina is just a little deeper than – I mean, is well deeper than Texas A&M. And there are some good players on – like good players on on North Carolina. I mean, Harrison Burns is a good player. Mm -hmm. Colby White is a good player. I think Cole Anthony is going to be a good player. You know, he's this rookie season when he's played, he's averaged over 11 points a game, four assists, four rebounds. So I, I think he has the potential to be good. I just, they're not great. And that, that's kind of the story of this team. Let's move on to the final segment of this show or this podcast. Where did he go? Each give each other three players. Guess where they went. Daniel's still up by one, but I'm going to get him this week. All so right. here's the first question. Where did KZ Akpala go to college? Did he go to college? Yes, he did. Okay, he did. Oh, yikes. Um, I don't know. Kentucky? Nope. Stanford. Really? Interesting. Yeah, he was on a Stanford team. It was a little shocking when he declared, but he was a, he was more of a potential player than a good player in college. But 0 for 1. All right. Don't get um, the Stanford kid. Where'd, yeah, Stanford kid. All right, where'd he go? Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker, I believe, the fourth? Miami? Yep, Miami. Yeah, I do remember those teams. I mean, Miami's not been good in a while, but I think no. he was on a team that lost to Loyola Chicago in the first round. That sounds right. That sounds right. My second player is Will Barton. Where did Will Barton? Will Barton know. went to Memphis, I believe. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I remember that one. Yeah. He's a good okay. player. It's very one good for player. one. Yeah, all right. Okay. Um, My next guy, Celtics legend. They're going to retire his jersey. He's going to win MVP. I believe the Celtics are something like 10-4 and four since acquiring him at the deadline. Luke Cornett, seven foot two. Sharpshooter, where did he go? Did Luke Cornett go to college? Yes. He did, really. Uh, uh, you're sure? I'm positive. Did he go to... No, he didn't go to Arkansas. Did he go to Arkansas? No, he didn't. But I know it's wrong, but I'll go with Arkansas. Yeah, no. Uh, he went to Vanderbilt. Oh, smart kid. Yeah. All right, my last one is a new player on the Denver Nuggets. His okay. name is Shaquille Harrison. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you I've ever heard of him, but I'm sure he's a, a good player. Um, I'm going to say, maybe I have, SMU? Close, Tulsa. You are oh. in the right region, even in the right conference. Wow. Oh. Right All right, my, okay, wait, mm, okay. So my last guy, don't know if you've heard of him, Frank Jackson on the Pistons, he's having a Actually, a pretty good season. I think he's averaging somewhere around 10 points. He's put up a few, in the last few weeks, like 18, 19, 20-point games. The name sounds familiar. Not from not from uh, the NBA, but from college. And I know why. Because it's your school. Well, not your new school, but it's your old school. Mm -hmm. It's Duke. The banners are hanging in the background. I remember Frank Jackson. Yep. He, he's a point guard, right? Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, so that is all we have for today. Are we tied now, I think? Yes, we are. We're tied. I I told everyone eventually we'd be tied. I'll take yep. the lead next week. All we'll right. be back next week with another episode of Into the Fray. So long.